Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, I grew up in the Tree of Life Synagogue, and I was living in Texas four years ago when that safe space was attacked. If you weren't here at the time, a man shot and killed 11 worshippers on Shabbat. My mom was actually on her way to services there. She belonged to one of the three congregations that met in the building. And as she approached the synagogue, she saw a SWAT team arrive. It was awful. I still have a lot of feelings about it. And I'm sure some of you do too. Today, I'm with someone who wants to help us heal. It's Thursday, October 27th. I'm Mallory Falk, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Fortunately, had a lot of great friends and family who were members there. So um, in my childhood, we we joke, but I don't think that anybody cared where we went to Sunday school, just that we were at Sunday school. So I, even though I was not a Tree of Life member, I think I went to Sunday school more often there <laughs> than my own synagogue because they just were happy that we were somewhere. <laughs> That's really funny. I also, I went to Sunday school at Tree of Life. It's the, uh, you know, synagogue I grew up in, but it was definitely a little bit against my will. I didn't know that many kids who were really jazzed to, you know, spend their weekend mornings learning about the Torah when you could have been playing soccer with friends or some other activity. So I went to religious school there, had my bat mitzvah there. It's a place where I just spent a lot of my childhood. Maggie Feinstein and I both grew up as Squirrel Hill or Squirrel Hill adjacent Jews. She went on to become a counselor focused on community trauma. And since the shooting, she's channeled that expertise into leading the 1027 Healing Partnership. It's this organization that helps support people who were affected by the attack. You know, it's been four years since that day now. And recognizing that everyone kind of has their own trajectory here, what does your four typically look like for communities that have experienced mass trauma like this? I think, you know, in terms of coming into year four, I know from some other communities that that's the time where people say, will everyone remember? Mm -hmm. Will we remember the 11 community members who were taken that day? Will we remember this horrific moment when somebody really um, questioned our our safety um, and our ability to worship freely? Um, but we, we also remember the acts of kindness, the acts of solidarity, um, and the ways in which we stood up against hatred. And I think that in some communities at year four, there may be more doubt about that remembering. Mm. But I think in our community, we're not seeing that as much. I think there's been an incredible solidarity. People really do remember and choose to make sure that every year they find some way to, to reflect the values of the 11 to make sure they honor their memories. What are some of the individual feelings that might arise, you know, several years removed from the actual event? Yeah. You know, I think for people who had to grieve a loved one that day, every day they live with that. Um, A lot of the people who can't go to worship where they used to worship or who walk by the building regularly, Mm -hmm. they may have a daily reminder. But what I found is that there's a lot of people who don't have a daily reminder and continue to feel this deeply. And so around year four, sometimes what we find is it's the time where a lot of people who have felt this deeply, but also felt that, you know, thank God I'm okay and everybody around me is okay. So so they they haven't really focused on it. That, That around now is when, for a lot of people, the feelings start to surface of horror, of sadness, of disappointment, of fear, any of those things are totally normal. Um, And we, as humans, do a fairly good job, but we can push them down for a while. And we do push them down, especially if we feel like it's just not time. Mm -hmm. So sometimes around now, between year four and year five, 
what we've learned from other communities is it is the time where those feelings start to find their way back to the surface, right? Because the way I often describe feelings is that it's a balloon underwater. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so we can keep pushing that balloon underwater, uh -huh. but it will look for the surface every time. And so eventually... Um, you know, it's time to let it just come to the surface and not push it back down. And I think around this time between year and four and year five for people who don't have those daily reminders, frequently those will surface and that's okay. And, and you know, we expect that. And you've mentioned before, you kind of described the community like an onion. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about that? What happens is sometimes we think of it as a, as a pole <laughs> where there's people who are on the top and people who are on the bottom. We think of sort of that linear. And I, I really think much more circularly that as a community, you know, if you, if you cut an onion in half and you look at it, we are all there. That is a community, right? We all have a gift we give and we all get some gift from other people and we all exist there on that onion. Um, but that in the center of the onion, are the people who are most directly impacted by anything. And the, you know, in this case, case, it was absolutely on October 27, 2018, the people most directly impacted because their loved ones didn't come home that day, right? Mm -hmm. That they, they sort of are on that center of the onion. And the people who had to witness a horrific event or who were disrupted the way you described with your mom, right? That that she was on her way and that she had to leave, that, that those come on the next layer of the onion. Um, and then, you know, there's so many more layers in that onion, some of which we can name, some of which we can't. Um, but that idea do think as communities, if we want to at year four question, how do we be a more resilient community? We have to see ourselves on an onion together and we have to do the best we can to go towards the people who are closer to the center of the onion to offer support and lean out to people who are further from the center of that onion to get support. What are some of the ways that the community will be honoring those memories and, and commemorating that day this year? Yeah, so we have, over the last three years, really learned to make sure that we commemorate in an authentically Jewish way that also invites in the incredible broader community here. So, you know, everything we do, we try to make sure that we offer programs that everybody can participate in, even with Jewish content that's kind of at its center. Um, we have volunteer sites, and those volunteer sites are done with Repair the World. Uh, Repair the World's a great organization locally that does service with Jewish values centered at it. Um, we also do Torah study, and that's something I know Torah can sound um, very Jewish. Of course, that's the Old Testament. It's a, it's a book that is familiar uh -huh. to a lot of different people. Um, and we look in our text for better understanding of how our forefathers, foremothers, um, went through different experiences. What do we learn from the ways in which they've approached hard things? How can we learn resilience? How can we learn to find hope in dark times? How do we learn healthy grieving? And so every year we really invite in scholars who can help talk about that. Mm -hmm. And we invite the broader community to participate. Um, and then we have a commemorative gathering, a public space where we use Jewish prayers, we light candles, we say the names, um, we use song, and we we remember the 11 who were taken. We invite in um, people to honor their memories um, publicly. 
The show today is brought to you by an incredible local resource, AIDS Free Pittsburgh, and their pledge to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in Allegheny County by 2030. If that is a cause that is close to your heart, make sure you're around for their biggest event of the summer, the sixth annual Too Hot for July. It is a party, but it is also a chance to get confidential HIV and STI testing for free, plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep yins happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. Yes, July is in the name, but the event is in May. Don't get confused. May 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. There will be DJ sets, a health fair and marketplace, a ballroom-inspired dance battle, cash bar, food trucks, and more. Plus, a performance by Tony Award winner Alex Newell, a.k.a. Unique, from Gleek. This is all thanks to True Tea Pittsburgh and so many folks doing the good work out here in the community. So do not miss out. Learn more at TooHotForJuly.com. At the time that, that the shooting here happened, I was living and working as a journalist in El Paso. And less than a year later, the community I covered there experienced a pretty similar attack. Um, here we had the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in U.S. history. And there it was the deadliest attack on Latinos. A gunman um, was targeting Mexican and Mexican-Americans at a Walmart on the border. Um, and I remember just after that, watching the way the community gathered and came together and grieved and mourned together. People came to this makeshift memorial outside of the Walmart and showed up, you know, took up space as we were attacked for our identity. We're going to come here and grieve and gather together, inhabiting that identity and singing, you know, a Juan Gabriel song that's performed at Mexican funerals. It reminded me of what had happened here in Pittsburgh, people kind of gathering in the streets of Squirrel Hill, singing in Hebrew, praying, reciting the Mourner's Kaddish. Seeing that happen in El Paso reminded me of what I'd missed out on here, of grieving in community um, and being able to process that together. And I'm curious if you've talked to other people like that who weren't here, who couldn't physically be with their community or the community they'd grown up in um, and how they've worked through that or if if that's something they're still feeling they're missing four years out, you know, how to address that. Yeah. And I think to go back to the onion, it's a, a really good point. I think that to go back to the onion, that if you're not in physical proximity, that sometimes it's harder to locate yourself. Um, yeah. If you're not in Pittsburgh, and you're somewhere else. I hear this a lot from people that it felt very confusing because, you know, you were living in college or you were living in another city like El Paso. And while you're living there, you kept feeling like, well, I am from Pittsburgh, but I'm not there. So I can't really figure out how mm -hmm. I am part of that community. So there is something, I mean, it, it goes to the two questions you're asking about why do people heal together sometimes, that, that being able to express rage, being able to express sadness, being able to express that we have to find safety together uh -huh. in numbers, we have to find safety together in um, public spaces again, that doing that allows some of that healing to start to mm -hmm. go down that road. Um, and that when you don't really have a place to, to an outlet for that, then it can be complicated. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think, you know, that, yeah, here we had the makeshift memorial and also on October 27th, um, I've been at the Tree of Life building the last three years. And I will tell you that I get to um, sit with people, talk to people, give hugs to people who come every single year because they remember how profound it was to be in that public grieving space. And every year they go back to the public mm -hmm. grieving space. And I think that there's something always amazing to me that people take time out of their workday. They come during their lunch break. Um, they leave flowers. They leave a stone. And they just say that this is now sort of part of their ritual, not mm -hmm. because they had a family member there, but because they were part of that public grieving in the first year and in the, the moments that it happened and that they'll continue to, to hold that space. You know, one of the things I've been thinking about is there was the attack here, there was the attack in El Paso, there have been more targeted attacks since then at, you know, the Topps grocery store in Buffalo, at spas across Atlanta. Um, and all of these together can kind of create feelings of fear or maybe helplessness and resignation that this is just going to keep happening. Um, and it also reopens wounds every time. Um, how do we deal with that? How do you deal with the feelings that this, you know, continuing to happen brings up? So the hard part is all those the the public acts of hate and especially an identity based hate that that target individuals. Um, what we find is that it makes us feel at first a sense of solidarity. Right? You'll you'll hear often, you know, somewhere united, somewhere proud, mm -hmm. whatever that whatever that place is. You get this stronger than stronger hate. Stronger than hate. We get a rallying cry. Um, and what is that often followed by, right? Then the fall that gets followed by the horror that we have to have that. We uh -huh. have to be stronger than hate. We have to be united in the face of acts of violence. Um, but the truth is that, you know, when you pull back up to about the 3,000 foot view, that we are largely safe walking mm -hmm. around, um, that the violence that takes the most lives is violence that's often not given as many headlines, mm -hmm. um, that there is identity-based hate that also we don't see the names and faces of. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when you pull back up, that could make you feel overwhelmed or sad that there's uh -huh. there's there could be worse. The other side of that is that I think of this as we are all living in this moment in time only. And in this moment in time, we can choose to disengage out of fear and hopelessness, or we can choose to engage out of love and care. Our biggest task is to sustain that energy past the initial moments of horror and to not let the hopelessness or despair set in and rather realize that every day this will be our life's work mm -hmm. to make the world safer and to make the world somewhere that people can be um, in relationship with each other without ever necessarily finishing the task. You mentioned repair the world and the work that's happening in honor of the people who we lost. Um, are there any specific examples you would want to share or, or ways people can engage that really honors their memories? One that every year I feel so inspired by, and it it's um, the, the cemetery cleanup. The Jewish Cemetery and Burial Association, JCBA, is a local organization, and they realize that, you know, if you look around all over the city of Pittsburgh right now, there's small houses of worship that have closed down. They all had small cemeteries attached mm -hmm. to them, and a lot of those cemeteries have kind of been abandoned. Um, there's not really a next generation to care for them, and so they take it as their task to be the stewards of that. Um, and why it inspires me every year is that I think about the fact that what an incredible thing that we have 
that we know that to take care of somebody we've never met, we may not even know their life, to clean their to clean their gravesite, to be able to give that dignity uh-huh. is such a noble act. And so every year getting to do that around the commemoration, I find, right, we, we know the names of our 11. We say them. We recite them all the time. And we all have ancestors and we all have people who've come before us and maybe we know some of their names that we don't. And so we'll continue to honor their memories and make sure their memories are for a blessing. You know, for people who might want to observe the day sort of in a more private, personal way, is there anything you'd recommend that might be meaningful for people who there are these public events to take part in? But are there any sort of private rituals that you've seen be helpful to people? Yeah. You know, I'll hear people say, like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to be alone. And I always say, that's great. What are you going to do? It doesn't matter whether you are with people. And some people really do the best at healing themselves when they have quiet, when they have their own space. So somebody says, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to journal. I'm going to take a long walk. And I might go visit my loved one at a cemetery Mm -hmm. or I may go, you know, leave a stone somewhere. Um, Then that means they have a plan for what they'll do to allow grieving to exist in that day. They say, I'm just going to go to work and I want to forget about it. Then I say, you know, that isn't grieving, right? Mm -hmm. Like that you can't forget about it or just push it away. People who want to do something more privately, there's a concept in Judaism, right? Like pick up pick up a book and learn something mm-hmm. about the Old Testament right learn learn something about what's in our Torah um, what some of the scholars and the teachers have told us about it and to do that quietly continues to to make the memories of them a blessing because you're doing that in the name of our 11 community members thank you so much Maggie for talking with me sure thanks for having me Maggie Feinstein is director of the 1027 healing partnership Instead of newscast today, we'd like to take a moment to read the names of the 11 people who were killed four years ago. Joyce Feinberg, Richard Gottfried, Rose Malinger, Jerry Rabinowitz, Cecil Rosenthal, David Rosenthal, Bernice Simon, Sylvan Simon, Daniel Stein, Melvin Wax, Irving Younger. May their memories be for a blessing. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Today's edition has more details on commemoration events and a list of resources if you could use a little extra support right now. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city, so we'll see you then.